Hey, Pete. Hey, man. Hey, what's up? Nothing, man. How are you? I'm good. So this is BJ, good. and uh, Ken Mills is also on the line. Hi, hi. Hello. <laughs> This is Pete Camila, and you are listening to Cheap Talk. It's time for some Cheap Talk. You're listening to Trick Chat. And we welcome you to a very special episode of Cheap Talk. I'm Ken Mills, one of your hosts, and I'm joined by BJ Cramp. Welcome to the show once again, BJ. Hello there, Ken. Boy, you sound extra bubbly today, especially effervescent today, because (laughs) we have a special guest on the other end of the line, and it is the one, the only, someone we never thought we'd have on this show, Pete Kamita. Yeah, that's who I am. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Cheap Talk, Pete Kamita. We are so glad to have you on this show today. Wow, we never thought this would happen. It is definitely our honor to have you on this show today. Well, it's really nice of you to say, man. Thanks. Now, for anyone who was living under a rock or anybody who's a Cheap Trick fan, it's hard to believe they don't know who you are, but just to set the stage, you were one of the bass players in Cheap Trick, and you took over when Tom left. Yes, I did. Now, a lot of people think that the story begins there, but let's go back a little bit. How did you come on Cheap Trick's radar how did you get picked? And, and I know you were in bands before Cheap Trick. Can you talk a little bit about that? I, I've been playing, you know, live in, in clubs and stuff like that around Chicago mm-hmm. since I was 14. As soon as I, for some reason, as soon as I uh, got a bass guitar, I, I learned Mr. Tambourine Man by the Birds. And mm-hmm. just because I knew that. I got in a band, <laughs> and these guys, these guys were playing at this place called The Cellar in Mount Prospect. They played there every weekend because the guitar player, his brother-in-law, owned The Cellar, and The Cellar was like the biggest club in around Chicago for a long time, mm-hmm. and every weekend, I was 14 years old on stage in front of like 1,500 people, and it was, you know, it was great. Wow. And from then, I never stopped playing, and I just played in club bands for a nice, I don't know, long time, till like 1976, when I moved to L.A. Now, you mentioned you played in front of 1,500 people every weekend. That's For a 14-year-old kid, that's got to be kind of mind-blowing. Oh, it was great. It was like, that. that's when I was, I, you know, I was hooked. I was like, this is what I'm going to do. For, for the rest of my life, and I, that's what I did. <laughs> and I was lucky enough to keep working and make, I guess, just just enough money to make it through life, you know? Mm-hmm. And once I got to L.A., it, for some reason, got easier. But, but I was in this band in Chicago with The Thumbs. Okay. With Cliff Johnson, you know, Cliff Johnson from Off-Broadway. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he was a singer, and that band was made it to like become the biggest band in Chicago until Cheap Trick started coming around. <laughs> now you got it coming, now you got it coming, oh you got it coming. Now you got it coming, now you got it coming, oh you got it coming. You came around here 
covered up my flow. I gave you everything. Now you want it more. I didn't like you. I had to put you down. I used to think you'd know where. Now you're coming round. Now you got it coming. Now you got it coming. Oh, you got it coming. Now you got it coming. Now you got it coming. Oh, you got it coming. Now, now, now. out, you know, because they would take half our crowd. <laughs> we, you know, we work off the door, and they come to town, half the crowd will go see them, and then half will come and see us. So it would be, ah, shit, they're in town, and we'd make less money, you know. But I love them. They were my favorite band ever. I mean, when they played, I was there right in front every time I could be, you know. And I stand there and just like with my mouth open, freaked out about their songs and Rob and singing and everything about them. I was just their biggest fan, really. And never in my wildest dreams would I think of that I could ever end up being in that band. I, I mean, it would be too much to even dream of, you know, because they were my favorite. The Beatles were my favorite, you know, favorite band but just a band that I could go see all the time that was them and then they were my favorite band in the city 
what are your earliest memories of Cheap Trick? Like, what are the years? What year did the Thumbs form? And because you know, Cliff Johnson was in Pez Band before, right? Right. And uh, yeah, yeah. And I talked Paul Hamer. Paul Hamer told me that uh, Cheap Trick and Pez Band, those two bands were his favorites. But he said everybody thought Pez Band were going to be the ones to make it because Cheap Trick were just a little too crazy, <laughs> and you know, just out there. Everyone. That is what everyone thought. But the only thing. The only reason I didn't think that is because I thought uh, Cheap Trick's songs were way better, I mean, than Pez Band. And I thought Robin's voice was the best voice I ever heard, you know. And I like his voice because he's so original. And But just Robin blew my mind, you know. And I, I liked but 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 Pez Band were before Cheap Trick. They, they, I don't think Cheap Trick were around when Pez Band was playing. Because yeah. Cliff was in the thumbs, like, starting, I think, 74, maybe. Okay, I right, think right. That's, that's around when we started. And we were only together about a year, and that's when all of a sudden Cheap Trick, you know, popped into town once, and that was it. Once you know, once anybody heard them, that was it. It's like they they loved them. They were great. Mm-hmm. So that was that was the first time you became aware. Of Cheap Trick was like around seventy five. Yeah. Okay. That's that's that, that's right. Probably the first time I heard them. But I made friends right away with Tom because um, somehow I hooked him up with this girl that I went to high school with, and they ended up being you know like a couple for a long time so since i knew her it's like she'd come over with him to my place and we'd hang out like and then tom heard our demo the thumbs demo <laughs> and he told me when he heard it the hair on his arms like stood up he just loved the thumbs i, I don't know you know it's like i don't know why but he did he really loved that uh, he loved us. I loved them. You know, mm-hmm. so we hung out a lot. And then later on, in 1989, I moved to New York, and me and Tom started a band called Sick Man of Europe in New York. And right. we played. I, we, I played there for like a year with him, and his girlfriend was a singer, Jan Allen, and um, that was a good band too. So you said you moved to L.A. in 76? Yeah. So then, so when you actually joined Cheap Trick, you were out in L.A., huh? Uh, yeah, well, here's what happened. Is Ken Adaman, I was, I was at, you know, I was home. He called me up and asked me if I knew how to play slide guitar. I never played slide before in my life. <laughs> and he said that the next day, Hat was auditioning people because their guitar player split. But it was, Barcat was all slide, you know? Mm-hmm. And I never played slide, so I got their their uh, cassette, and I played it all night, and all night till I think I'd sleep all night. And I learned slide that night. <laughs> and I didn't know if I learned it good enough or what, but I figured, you know, I'm not going to pass this up, so Ken sent me a ticket. I went to New York, auditioned for Fog Hat, and I got the gig. I couldn't believe it. So I, I played with them. I think that Ken got me in them 
to see how I could do in concerts or something because it was only two weeks that I was do that I did that, and then all of a sudden, Tan calls me up and says, "What are you doing tomorrow?" And I said, "Nothing." You know, he goes, "We go to um, Canada and play tomorrow night with Cheap Trick at in Montreal at the at the uh, what was that place? The Gardens or something." And I said, whoa. I said, well, how much rehearsal do I get? He said, none. <laughs> I, said, I said, how do I know the songs? He goes, just listen to their you know, tape as much as you can. Get as much as you can. We'll put cheat sheets in front of you, like surrender, see, you know, what gets in. So, you know, I kind of like pulled it off. They didn't even know I was in town. <laughs> and I did four. I did four gigs in Canada with them, and pulled them all off. And no, the the owner, like the 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 um, uh, the booking agents that booked them in these, you know, there were concerts. There was like thirty thousand people, and those guys didn't know I was Tom. One guy came in right before the gig and said, "You better pull this off, or I'll kill you." You know, <laughs> like pressure, like mad. You know. And I just went out there and said, look, what do I have to lose? You know, I, I'm so familiar with their songs anyway that I could just hear them in my head. And I, the only thing is I never played 12-string bass before. And, man, that was hard because I could, it was hard to even just push your strings down, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> so they must have had those gigs booked before Tom left, huh? And then they just yeah. had to... <laughs> Yeah, for sure. So yeah. I, I saved, I kind of saved their butts in, at that time for sure because if I wouldn't have been able to pull that off, they would have had to cancel those gigs and that was a lot of money for them. But then, then they go, you want to go to Japan? And that's when I thought, okay, they told me Tom was sick. And I thought, okay, something's up here because no one's allowed to be sick for two weeks in that business. You know what I mean? Yeah. So uh, I, I go, yeah, I go, you know. By then, I knew the songs really good. So we rehearsed um, in Rockford the whole time before we went to Japan. And I learned the songs all good. And we went there, pulled that off, came back. And on the plane on the way back, Rick came up and said, look, Pete, we fired Tom. We want to know if he'll do it do the gig permanently. I said, oh my God, are you kidding me? Of course I'll do that. I love, you know, it's my favorite band. So that was it. And I was, I guess, in the band. (laughs) McComb rocks its way into spring Sunday, March 7th on the campus of Western Illinois University with Robin Zander, Bunny Carlos, Pete Comita, and Rick Nielsen, Cheap Trick. There's limited seating available at 850 and 750, so act now. Don't miss the concert of the year as McComb welcomes Cheap Trick. Tickets available at Co-op Tapes and Records, Weird Heralds in Burlington, and Bob's Records in Quincy. 
Don't miss the hard-driving Cheap Trip in concert Sunday, March 7th on the campus of Western Illinois University in Macomb. Now, Pete, I'm surprised that we can understand you today because we were told that you had such a thick Italian accent. Who told that, you that? <laughs> well, well, hold on a second. In the teen magazines at the time, you know how Cheap Trick always kinds of, you know, there's the truth and then there's the story that Cheap Trick likes to tell just to throw people off right. the, you know. So it was yeah. like you were you were from uh, Italy. You were... You were, uh, you had such a... That's, that is true. That, so, so you are actually yeah. from... Yeah, I was born in Italy. That part is true. <laughs> but I, I was raised in, in Chicago, man. Mm-hmm. That's been my whole life. I, I have no accent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I remember... Pete, I remember being like 16 years old, and I'm looking through the the teen magazine, and it says, here's the new guy from uh, the, the new guy in Cheap Trick, it said something. Uh, Pete has such a thick Italian accent; it's even hard for him to do interviews at this point. But he is learning. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that they 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 were probably worried about me doing interviews because they didn't know what I'd say. I mean, every, everything was so fast and everything was so rushed at that time that no one knew anything that was going to happen. Right. It all just kind of was went smooth by whatever power made it happen i don't know but it just went real smooth and it was all real good yeah i i remember that quite uh vividly and thinking well how's this gonna work you know and then we'd see you on tv and stuff like that and i was like well he seems to be okay he seems to be fitting in uh let's talk <laughs> about what it's like to go to a band with such a high profile because at the time they were in everything from circus magazine cream magazine 16 magazine i mean you went from being just a guy in chicago to a pinup overnight i know i know it, 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 it was, believe me it blew my mind right out of my head just, i i i was in shock with there could be nothing better. I mean, that was my goal my whole life it mm-hmm. was to get to this concert stage. Mm-hmm. And when I did, I couldn't believe that, you know, I, I just said to myself, I fucking, oops, sorry. No, no, you can, you, I, uh, go for it. Pete, Pete, can, you can fucking swear on this show. It's all right. <laughs> oh, really? Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry. <laughs> anyway, uh, I just thought, all right, I, I kind of had a plan. I, I didn't know what else I would do in my life if, if that didn't happen. You know, right. I, I kind of, I, I just, I, I would probably croak myself or something because I had no other plan. I didn't have a backup plan. It was like either that was going to happen or I was going to like disappear to the mist of something. Well, for God's sakes, you were on a Viewmaster. Oh, yeah. You know, you were a kid just like I was and everybody was, and you played with those things growing up, and then all of a sudden, you're actually on a Viewmaster. How weird was that? That's got to be surreal. It's really weird. I, I got that thing right here, too. Really? <laughs> yeah, it's in my closet. I have a lot of stuff that um, I saved from back then. 
magazines and my sister basically kind of made a scrapbook and mm-hmm. saved all that stuff and you know so when I go to Chicago I look at it and go through memory lane but there was a lot of good times with them you know there was a lot of a lot of good times but I was always the new guy and that's got to kind of after a while I have like I'm a real free spirited kind of guy, and I was always happy, and because you know how could I not be happy? I mean, every day we were playing thirty thousand seaters. It was it was just to me that was my dream come true. So I was I think I was always so happy that I started making those guys sick, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like because they're so used to it by then. They probably just wanted to take off a year or whatever. But then all of a sudden they had to work as a new guy and Tom was, you know, those guys were so tight and he kind of lost it, I guess. I don't know really what happened. But when I when I got to New York and started playing with Tom, he seemed totally like his old self to me. I, I didn't see any difference. I think he just started resenting them for stuff they went through, you know that I really probably don't even know the true story about. And because of his resentment, he would do stuff they could not handle. Right. So, like, he actually would not show up against I heard of him. And you can't do that when there's 30,000 people waiting. Right. Well, the big, the big story is and no one knows what is true and what is not. You know what I'm saying? Just like you had a thick yeah. Italian accent. <laughs> right. <laughs> As as the the story is, and again this is rumored, is that he he had met Dagmar and she had basically told him that he could be more of a presence in the band and that he could be a star on his own. And once that kind of thing happens, resentments right, build. That's, that's what I heard too. But I met Dagmar and I talked to her and hearing their story mm-hmm. side of it. And I never really talked to him about it. Right. But from from her side and from their side, it sounds to me like it really wasn't. They had nothing to do with Dagmar. I mean, I I know he wanted to start a band with her, like mm-hmm. that modern something, modern citizen. Mm-hmm. And that's what he did. And but they they I don't know. The whole thing with him and them, I think it was just something that is so, like, like brothers, you know, like where you never could really get the the inside scoop on the real thing about it because they were so tight, so close that it was probably stuff that happened that I couldn't even guess about, you know. <laughs> Thankfully, they didn't say that Tom developed such a thick Italian accent that he could no longer be in the band. So you know that, that that's uh. <laughs> well. Ever ever since Yoko, everybody wants to blame right. the wife. That's kind of become like a cliche, I guess, to just say that's what happened. Yeah, yeah. Plus, everyone you know compared them to the Beatles anyway, so they might as go all out and say yeah. Yoko into it. <laughs> Well, it sounds to me like the way they just dropped you into those Canada shows, it sounds like, for one thing, they were probably hoping that Tom was going to change his mind and maybe it wasn't a done deal that he was definitely out 
but they just had to do those gigs and then it also just served as like an audition for you at the same time so yeah, yeah. but if that's what it was it wasn't fair because like I, I didn't get to audition I had to go on stage and play live the next night with no rehearsal no anything it was I never played the songs before not once so the, they must have known you well enough to know that you were good enough to that they could put you on stage and you could pull it off. And that must have been why they called you in the first place, don't you think? Yeah, because they, they did hear the thumbs. I mean, they saw me on stage a, a bunch, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, uh, plus, I kind of, because of the hair maybe, I kind of resembled Tom in a way, you know, far away maybe on stage. So... Mm-hmm. Because they didn't tell any of the promoters or anything that I wasn't Tom. Yeah. Yeah, that's what makes me think that maybe they were still hoping that things were going to be worked out and uh, that he was going to be back and they just had to do those gigs. But but then it became apparent at some point that it was over. Right. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, he did some things, I think, that they could not forgive, you know. And Ken Adamy was around then, and he was a hard ass, and... I'm sure he had a lot to do with uh, them firing Tom, you know. Now, did were the, was there ever a time when you were, like, learning Tom's parts that you went, like, Tom, why did you write something like that? Was there anything that, like, threw you for a loop or, you know? Because you, I mean, admittedly, those are big shoes to fill. No, I actually, I, I, I played bass before I played guitar. Mm-hmm. And I, I, to be honest, he plays, we play basses the same because he's a guitar, he was a guitar player too before mm-hmm. he played bass. Right. So he's kind of a guitar player turned bass player. And I'm more of a guitar player too. So that's exactly what I am. So I play bass just the same way, you know, like with a pick. Yep. And I'm not a typical bass player, like, you know, fingers and like that, like John Brandt. Right. Um, but the stuff I heard, because the first thing I had to learn was more than anything was Austria Cup, because that's the album that just came out right when I joined. Mm-hmm. So stuff like Go Through the Throat and uh, were really cool bass parts. Mm-hmm. I, I really loved that shit, because I thought, wow, you know, because I'd see Tom play, and I always thought it was great, but I didn't know how great it was until I had to learn the stuff. Right. It took you inside of it. Um, yeah. And a lot of people that maybe don't play the bass might not understand, but what you're kind of talking about is that, for example, Tom and you chord like you're playing an actual guitar at times. Yeah, well, especially the 12 string. The, yeah. the 12 string, you could play melodies on the 12 mm-hmm. string. You know, like, you don't have to play just the bass, like, and stay on the rhythm with the drums, mm-hmm. you could actually play a melody also. Yeah. You know, and he, and he had the uh, those foot, the Taurus pedals, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah. So those help because you could, you know, slam one of those with your foot, hold that down, and actually play, like, not a solo, but a melody on the bass. Yeah, because it sounded like a giant grand piano in a way. Yep. Because <laughs> the amps he had was like four SVTs, a Marshall amp, and the strings were the the high strings went to the Marshall, 
like mm-hmm. a guitar. Yep. So it sounded like a 12-string guitar. And then the bass strings went to the ampeg. And so it, sounded, it was just a great setup, you know. So when you joined, you were using Tom's gear? Yeah, when I joined, I used all his basses, his wow. amps, everything. Wow. Because I didn't have a 12-string bass. I never <laughs> yeah. I did, but then I had one made for me that that stripe one that that was easier for me to play because his hands must be like a gorilla because I could not even push those strings down at first. My fingers <laughs> were bleeding. I swear. <laughs> right. Well, a lot of people may not realize, but that gives Cheap Trick a very distinctive sound live because you can, as you say, sound like a piano or a bass or a, a rhythm guitar. It, it opens up yeah. the... As a, I, I myself play bass, so I know exactly what you're talking about. So it, it really does give Cheap Trick a distinctive sound live. You know, what's weird is uh, producers, everybody I work with, with them, they don't. They didn't want that twelve-string in the studio. That's insane. I, I don't know why they couldn't handle. It. They couldn't get the sound right or something. So they they maybe play four-string. <sighs> hmm. When you have something that distinctive, and it really yeah. does make the band live, why wouldn't you try to replicate that in the studio? I don't know. I never understood it. Roy Thomas Baker couldn't even do it. Wow. It's like Jack Douglas, uh, he, was, he was my favorite guy that I ever worked with because um, he did Born to Raise Hell, that mm-hmm. one. Uh, it was that, I guess that was in a movie or something. Because of his attitude, it made me play better, you know? So I'm really happy with my bass part in that song because he kind of let you do what you do and made sound as good as he could make you sound and let you do your thing, mm-hmm. you know, whereas other producers tried to kind of, you know, make you do what they hear, you know, and he let me just go for it. And that's, so I did probably, that's probably the best I played the studio with them. Mm. Well, let's, let's do a, a bit of your discography with the band. What all did you record? Just kind of walk us through that process. Well, I didn't. Re- I recorded all of the one-on-one, but I don't think they used my stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, my bass. I think they overdid it with John or Rick played the bass on there. I don't know what they did. But that that, that seems that to be the that, legend. Is that Rick? Went yeah, and supposedly Rick stuff. played it. Yeah. Oh, because I know what I played on there, and it's nothing like what I hear on the record. Mm-hmm. So. Except for they used some of my parts that I thought of, like at the beginning of uh, "If You Want My Love," you know that song. Mm-hmm. That beginning, that that lick, I played that on bass, but I think Rick kind of borrowed it and played it on guitar. <laughs> Now there were there were the three songs that were made for the Canadian animated film Drats, which later became Rock and Roll, uh, Born to Raise oh. Hell, and stuff like that. And I'm the man. Yeah. So it says in the book, right. there's the book about Cheap Trick. Reputation is a fragile thing, and it says in there that you didn't play on those songs. But we're getting a scoop here yeah. because you were, you played on them, right? 
Well, no, I played on Born to Race Hell, that's all. Okay. And, and, and one other one, but I can't remember the name of it. But it was on Rock and Roll. For sure, I played on Born to Race Hell, and I want everyone to get that clear because I know that that's, I played good stuff on that song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's on the box set. And yeah, like you said, those were produced by Jack Douglas. But then there was never right. a soundtrack released for that, so that stuff didn't come out until in the 90s. Right. Uh, it's, 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 you know, I, could, I just heard on the Internet the other day, I was looking for something by, I forgot who, Dan Fogelberg or something like that. <laughs> and and uh, all of a sudden there was some trick stuff on there, too, on his, his you know, on YouTube, you know, how you go down the list. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, all of a sudden, the cheat, there was a trick, couple of cheap trick songs on there, too. And Born to Race Hell was on there, and I played it, and it was my track. I don't think anyone else ever did that, that well, song. Well, it's one hell of a tune, seriously. Yeah, I know. And the, I, I'm proud of the bass parts on there, because I thought of those things right in the studio. And there's some, there's some cool stuff on it. I like it.
So I, I'm sure what everybody wants to hear about, because it, this song is definitely a fan favorite, the song Reach Out. Uh, everybody loves that song. And you wrote that song with Bob James uh, from yeah. Montrose. So when did you guys write that song? Uh, we wrote that in right before, it was about 1979. We had a band called Private Army. Uh-huh. It was me, him, Rudy Sarzo played drums. And uh, no, I'm sorry, Rudy Sarzo played bass. Frank Benelli played drums, wow. and I, I played guitar, and uh, Bob James was a singer. We made a demo with Reach Out and a couple, and three more songs. Actually, Cheap Trick did another one off of that demo, and I, did, I didn't tell them they could do it, but they just did it. It was called... Uh, uh, what, Fool Yourself? Was that it? Yeah, Fool Yourself. Yeah, that's a great I, song. I wrote... I wrote I wrote that whole song, the lyrics, the music, everything. Well, that that song is out there on bootlegs, but they never released it in any way. Right. Yeah. Right. I don't think they ever really. Uh, they didn't. They didn't really record it very well. I don't think because I think I heard it once by them, and it didn't. I don't think they did it very good justice. So I don't think they took it very seriously. So when when they did "Fool Yourself," you weren't a part of that. No. No? Wow. Okay. I, I, was in, I was in shock that they did it. I, I, could, I, I didn't even know. And my girlfriend's the one who found she, I mean, my wife, she's the one who found uh, that out. I didn't know that they even recorded it. She, she found it. She, she's, like, amazing at, at uh, picking up on things, you know. And all of a sudden, she finds Fool Yourself by Cheap Trick on the Internet. Like a you got to be kidding me. And then she played it and it was a song. <laughs> wow.
Yeah, I've heard, I have that. I have that. But yeah, it sounds more like a demo or a rehearsal than an actual studio recording. I, I'd love. To, I would love to play you the the demo of that song that I made, and I think you'd like it. So that was, was that Private Army that recorded that? Yeah, that was Bob James and Benelli and Sarzo. Yes. Yeah, so um, that band that was that band was in L.A. So that yeah. was that was after Bob James left Montrose, I guess, because he replaced Sammy Hagar in Montrose. And then you've got the rhythm section that ends up in Quiet Riot. That's a pretty awesome right. band. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. Yeah. We never we never played live anywhere, but we made that demo and. I think that demo helped me get the gig in Cheap Trick too, because when Ken heard that that demo, he heard like Cheap Trick doing those songs, and he was thinking hit hit singles, you know, Mm -hmm. and that might that might have helped me get the gig too. I think. Words ain't just the same, the same. 
So the song Reach Out, how does that end up on the heavy metal soundtrack? Was that, like, the story is that that song was going to be on the heavy metal soundtrack, and then they asked Cheap Trick to do it, and they didn't even know that you were connected to the song and the band at the same time? Is that how it worked out? <laughs> I really don't know. Okay. Uh, all I know is one time, Ken, Ken, the manager, he just told me that, you know what? We're going to do your song on this movie. I said, oh, great. Reach Out is, you know, I don't know if you know this, you probably know, but among Cheap Trick fans, that's definitely one of their favorites. I mean, everybody just loves that song. It's such a great song. So, well, that, that makes me feel really good because uh, I like, you know, that's, that's really cool. If you heard the demo with Bob singing it, it's to the T. I mean, Robin, you know, Robin could copy anybody exactly. Yeah, yeah, and he, and he he copied Bob uh, note for note. I mean, <laughs> every note was the same. It, so if you compare the demo to the cheap trick version, the only difference is um, Private Army did it in D, and cheap trick raised it up to E, mm. and that's it. That's the only difference.
I mean, I love writing songs. I, I, I write a lot of songs. I have a lot. You know, I, I record them on my computer. My wife sings them. She's got a really good voice. Like, I don't know what you guys heard about. I can't take it, but I don't really want to get into that that much. But I wrote I Can't Take It. Cheap Chick fans, most Cheap Chick fans have heard <laughs> all the rumors about that. I just flat out, in this one magazine article I did, uh-huh. I flat out came out and said, I think I just flat out came out and said, Robin took that song from me because I wrote it. Because I, I, was, I was pretty mad about that for a long time, but I just let it go, you know. It's, it's my fault anyway, because I should have had a copy written before I ever showed anybody. Right. Yeah, but, you know, technically, as soon as you write it, it's copywritten. I mean, that's how the law works. But, yeah, if you didn't have any, like, official... Yeah. Right. If I would have at least even mailed it to myself on that right. uh, cassette that I showed Robin, if I would have just mailed that even, that would have held up. But I didn't do anything. I I was too much, too, I was too happy-go-lucky, you know? I trusted everybody, and it just worked out that way, so... There's a brand new one called I Can't Take It.
mean, you know, you got to admit, Rick, Rick, they don't need, they, they, they didn't need another writer in that band. I mean, that Rick's too amazing of a writer for anyone else to even try and slip their stuff in. Because he, <laughs> yeah, he, true. he just he, he's so great. He's just a, you know, he, I I got the most respect for those guys anyway because he's so great that anyone who would come in and say, Hey, I got a song, I wanna hear it you know, let's record this would be like stupid. <laughs> I never tried that once. It's just I went to Robin's house and showed him that song and he kinda adopted it. <laughs> When you guys went into the studio and you recorded Reach Out and I Must Be Dreaming for that heavy metal soundtrack, did you record anything else at that time? Or was it just those two songs? Uh, I think it was just those two. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I, I can't remember that. There was, you know, after a while, there was a time where I don't know what any, people think or what anybody thinks or what anyone said or whatever, but I, I did quit the band. I mean, I wasn't fired. I, and the reason was because my personality it didn't fit with them, with their They were like always trying to make me, they were kind of trying to bring me down. Like, uh, I, I think I was just too goofy and too like happy-go-lucky for them. <laughs> and it, it made them uncomfortable. So I think they tried to, pushed me down, you know, and I didn't like it. It really, I couldn't work that way. I couldn't stand being that way. I, and after a while, it got to me so bad. But by Chicago Fest, I was out already. It was like, I, 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 had, I said, guys, we got to have a meeting, okay? So we had, we had the meeting, and I told them right there, guys, I'm out. Uh, you know, I'll stick around till you find another guy then I really want to go. So they, after six months, I asked one of the roadies, I said, hey, man, they find the bass player yet? It's been six months, man. It's like, I want to go. And they said, they haven't even tried out one guy. <laughs> and I went, oh, my God. I brought John Brandt over there to a rehearsal at Rick's house. And I, I told him, hey, man, I, I need to take a nap, okay? So I, t I told John, go downstairs, just pick up a bass and start jamming with them, and they'll take you. I'm telling you, I know those guys. They're lazy. They, they just don't want to audition anybody. <laughs> if you're there, they'll take you. <laughs> so that's what happened. I went upstairs. I went to sleep. He went down there, jammed, and bam, it was in. <laughs> well, it sounds like, do you think what you were experiencing was, since you were the new guy, was a kind of a hazing type thing? Like, you hear about bands doing that with the new guy. Yeah, that's what it was. It yeah. really, that really was. I was like the butt of all the jokes, and you know they pulled some off some stuff on me that was kind of like not cool. And I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not like I don't like people on ego trips or anything like that. So I really try to keep myself, especially, away from being that way. And so it wasn't. It had nothing to do with that. It had to do with, I just wanted to be, I was confident enough about myself to not think that I should have to take anything like where I was getting. I thought they should kind of appreciate me more because 
at first, I, I must have saved them $100,000 to be able to pull that off for those gigs. And I, th- I thought they should, you know, maybe appreciate me a little more or whatever. It was, it was, it was, it was probably a really dumb move <laughs> because I should have stayed anyway and taken it because they were still big at the time, but they were starting to go to go downhill a little bit because we went from 30, 60,000 people to all of a sudden we're playing big clubs, you know? So I thought, look, if, if it's going this way, this is the time for me to go. So that's what I did. Yeah, that's what, exactly what I was going to ask you is, so All Shook Up doesn't sell nearly as well as the previous few albums. And so, yeah, so as the tour went on, the crowds were were dropping in numbers. Yep. Yeah. And and, and the and the gigs were dropping in numbers. Like they would they'd be sold out, but it was like ten thousand instead of thirty thousand, and five thousand, and then all of a sudden big clubs. When I saw that, I thought, oh, you know, it's like I don't I don't I don't want to take this kind of treatment and not do what, you know, I want to do, too. Because I was dying to get back to guitar by then. Mm-hmm. But you were a part of the recording of One on One, so so you were around. Yeah, when but, it came to do the follow-up album, you were still a part of the band? Were you a part of the whole process when it came to the beginnings of making that record? Yeah, I learned all the songs and recorded them all. And But... Once they got, and in the middle of that album is when I got John in, and so they overdid them all. My uh, overdid all my. Plus, I don't think Rick liked what uh, I think. Uh, maybe I was overplaying a little bit on those songs, and I think Rick wasn't that crazy about it. So he figured, he probably figured I'll just play real basic bass and without any, you know. You know, I, I had all the stuff going on, <laughs> mm-hmm. and he, he, I think he wanted it more basic, so the song stood out more, and so he did it, I think, himself, and I wasn't on it at all, and that, that's why my picture's not on the record, you know? Right. right. Well, I've, I've always thought it was interesting that you've got, here you've got Roy Thomas Baker, the guy most famous for producing Queen... And so when you think about no, well, what if Queen, yeah. And when you think about well, what if what if he had taken Cheap Trick in some kind of a direction like Queen, but instead they make a record that's almost like a heavy metal album or even a punk <laughs> there's even punk elements. So I mean, do you remember how do you have any insight as to how one on one ended up sounding the way it sounded or as I'll tell you, man, I was really surprised because I knew brought Roy Thomas Baker in there. It's like because I I knew him from L.A. and and his his um, engineer is the guy who did my demo for okay. Private Army. So mm-hmm. Roy heard that he really liked it. So I knew him. You know, we hung out and everything. Roy and I in L.A. So when Cheap Trick, when it was their turn or the time came up for them to make another record. They're trying to think of what producer or whatever, and I, they knew I knew Roy, Roy, so they go, "Hey man, why don't you give him a call and ask him?" So I called him, 
And I asked him, he said, okay. So he comes out to Chicago and he starts recording it. And he had a very strange attitude toward me too. And I thought, where that whole session, that whole, that whole recording of that album was very uncomfortable for me at least. And so I was gone in the middle of that. Like, but before that album was even finished, I was out. Right. Uh, here's something you might be interested in. Uh, on our Cheap Talk Facebook page, there's a guy by the name mm-hmm. of Christopher Todd Davis who does these really cool polls. And one of his polls was pick a song, and, and what, what the thing's called is Stiff Competition. As you know, that's a Cheap Trick song. But they, they, yeah. picked, they, they picked these two soundtrack songs, Everything Works If You Let It versus Reach Out. And Reach Out blew away every, Everything Works if you let it, it was uh, 86 to 55. So that just shows you how, wow. how beloved reached out, Reach Out is among the cheap trick Oh, community. my God. Because I love that song, Everything Works If You Let It. Oh, yeah, it's great. Yeah, everybody loves it. But, yeah, I, I like Reach Out more, too. I, I, think, uh, I think a lot of cheap trick fans, if you ask them, that song would probably end up like in their top 10 of, of all cheap trick songs. People really love that song. Oh my God, that, that that's making me feel really, really happy because I didn't know that at all. <laughs> I didn't know that. Well, that's cool. Um, yeah, it's true. People love it. It's great. Is, is wow. there is, is there anything you'd like to say to Cheap Trick fans? I mean, there's you've kind of been like the Invisible Man at times. What would you like Cheap Trick well, fans you know, to know? You know what's funny is in Japan, in Japan they call me the Mystery Man. Mm. <laughs> In the, in the magazines and that kind of stuff. And they still did for a long time because they never knew what happened to me. They, they, they never talked to me again, you know. So all of a sudden I was gone. And so they started calling me Mystery Man. I kind of like that, though. <laughs> and <laughs> it, 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 I don't know. It's, it's weird. It's like, when the, you know when they took, um, when they got inducted into the Hall of Fame? Mm-hmm. I really thought the coolest thing was Bunny added me to like people that he, he thanked. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, he was saying thanks to uh, a bunch of people. And he said, thanks, Pete, you know. And I thought that was so cool because those guys, the rest of them kind of act like I never was alive, you know, like I, I was never, there, you know, there. But and Bunny, when I was in the band, he's the one I, that I didn't get along with the most because he's the one who kind of was so sick of it that he couldn't stand playing. Like I couldn't understand how could this guy complain playing in front of all these people every night? This is like a dream, mm-hmm. and we didn't get along very well, to be honest. But then after I was gone, he's the guy who's been the nicest to me. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. You know, you mentioned the, the All Shook Up tour. What, what can you tell us about being on that stage and doing that tour? What did you think of, of, the, of the show itself, in, like they had the big eyeball and all that stuff? What did you think of all that stuff? I thought some of it was corny, mm-hmm. like... Uh, who who's the king? You know the jump thing, and they put the masks on, mm-hmm. yep. and they bring out the, the other drum set, and one of the roadies who play drums, and I don't know. Some of it seemed kind of corny, 
And I, did, I didn't like starting the show with um, Hello There every time. For some reason, I didn't understand why they wanted to do that. That song to start off the show, when they have so many great songs. That, that To me, that's like a throwaway song. But, so, but that's what we started the shows with every night. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's the only thing I can say negative about anything because the rest of it was like, I'm, a, I'm up there playing my favorite songs ever. Mm-hmm. So how can I complain, you know, with who I thought was the best singer I ever heard. And me and Bunny, I don't know, I thought we played good together. Mm-hmm. And Rick, you know, he, you could tell by Saturday Night Live that Rick, he had fun. Play, I don't care what he says. He had fun playing with me on stage. Like, if you watch that Saturday night thing, you could see it. You could tell he would want to come over by me and fool around with me, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's what he would do live every night. And it was good, man. I thought everything was really cool. Please welcome Cheap Trent!
you have any memories or stories from from appearing on Saturday Night Live? And I mean, that's a pretty huge experience to have in your life. Oh my God! I, I asked him. I said after the, after we did it, I said, "How many people watch this thing?" They said a million and a half. I went, "What the fuck?" <laughs> I said, "That's the biggest live crowd I will ever play in front of." <laughs> yeah, because it was live. And it went off without a hitch. I mean, we, you know, we did those both those songs perfect. But yeah, I, I can't tell you the feeling of doing that. That that was like the highlight of probably my musical career. Once again, here is Cheap Trick. <laughs> It's 
and I've I've been in so many bands. I can't tell you. I can't even remember half of them. Mm-hmm. Like the names, <laughs> you know. Like I'd be in a band for a year or two or three, and I'd forget. You know. <laughs> Right. Because <laughs> Bunny was a kid, and I mean, I was, you know, I'll be honest, I was high, man, in those days. <laughs> it was part, it, it was Party City, and every band I was in, it wasn't just me, it was like everybody was that way. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, so who who was in the cast on Saturday Night Live? Was that when Eddie Murphy was on? And um, I don't... No, actually, the cast wasn't that cool. It was it, Charles it was, Rocket and those guys. Oh, was that 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 was that one that weird cast like when Lauren Michaels wasn't there or something? Yep. Yeah. Okay. It was it was in between where they almost died out and then they came back. Right. Right. It was right when they were almost dying out, and it, it was Karen Black was the host, mm-hmm. and what's the name? Oh no, I'm not going to be able to remember his name. The the bass player, that famous bass player, Stanley Clark, right. he played on there too, and I couldn't believe that because I was always a fan of his too because he's very so great. Uh-huh. And he played he played a song, and I was standing there with my mouth open, going, "I got to follow this." <laughs> <laughs> So what else do you guys want to know about? Well, what I you know you mentioned earlier, Chicago Fest. Now you as a Chicago yeah. boy by way of Italy with your thick Italian accent. <laughs> yeah. It had to be insanely surreal to play on that Chicago Fest stage because that is I mean if 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 you're the king of Chicago, that's that's where you play, right? That was another thing. Another amazing thing you know it was like my hometown but actually what was for some reason what blew my mind even more than that was because i lived in la so long by then that when we played the forum i got all my friends out here the first first two rows like all the seats i got for them Uh so the forum was it it was like, oh, my God. The Forum is, it has all this, you know, history, and it's, it's just, I couldn't believe. We went up there, the very first song, at that time, we started out with a Dream Police. So we start Dream Police, and after the intro, and because of the tourist pedals, there was so much power going through the Forums mm-hmm. that we blew out the, the, the lights and the electricity. <laughs> wow! <laughs> everything went everything went black, and then like uh, all the instruments went off, and the lights and the place, everything went off. They put on emergency lights, and we had to start over. And I and I just went to everybody. Hey man, we're the first band that ever blew out the power in the forum. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, being like I was, I thought that was like cool. <laughs> so so what are you doing nowadays what's what's pete Camita up to um i'm mostly writing i'm writing songs with my wife and laying them down on my computer and um she sings them and it's mostly for fun you know it's not like i think i'm gonna take it to some record company and get some record deal <laughs> and start a band i'm, I'm you know I'm old, <laughs> and this is like this is like a band for a young man's business, you know. Right. And I don't. I mean, I don't look that bad, but 
it's just me thinking that. I don't know what anyone else would think. <laughs> and then I just say, I'll just keep growing my hair. That might help. Yeah. <laughs> Every day I think I'm going to take over the world, and then I try to stand up. So that pretty much, you know, sums up <laughs> getting older. But uh, So let yeah. me ask you this question, point blank. Would you do it all over again? Yes. Uh, for sure, I would. I would, but I think I would be a little bit more we're uh, careful. I'd be a little bit more um, uh, realistic, you know, about it and not so um, daydreamical. <laughs> That's a word, you know. <laughs> well, did did you, when you left the band, did you move back to L.A. then or? Um, what, let's see. I left them and, yeah, I did. I, well, then I, I, I joined Enough's Enough, you know, you know them? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So I played. With, I I was in enough enough, pretty much right away. Oh no, wait a minute. I was. I I, I did USSA first. Yes. That that was the band with um, Tom Gwenda for Pez Band. Bob James was a singer, and Randy Castillo was a drummer. Mm-hmm. That that was Ken Adamani, Chief Tricks manager. Mm-hmm. That was all his idea. It was because Tom Gwenda. The um, Pez Band guitar player. Right. He was Cheap Trick Sound Man, and he uh, he was always bugging Ken about he wanted to get back to playing. He doesn't want to do sound, and so he wants to put together a band. And he the, he was telling him, you know, Pete's gonna quit anyway, and like uh, let's get Pete and me, and we will get some guys, and we'll start a band and. And can you manage it? <laughs> and he talked him into it. So when I left, it was all set up already. It was like I left that and started rehearsing with USSA. <laughs>
and we started we play and no one ever heard us we never you know no record companies or anybody like that ever even heard us so that that then we got cliff we got bob went home back to la cliff joined and we played with him around town you know for a while then that got shitty and he, and that's when I went, I think, right into Nuff's Enough, did that for a while, and then from there, I moved to L.A., and there was a band out here called Flame, uh-huh. and I joined them. So who was in the band Flame that you were in in L.A.? Anybody we would have heard of in that band, or...? There was nobody in there that you would have heard of. There was, there was just a, a club band from San Francisco came down to LA and they got a record deal and one they got they they got a record deal with a song I wrote called Ball and Chain. Very you much. know uh I have that CD, that Flame CD with Ball and Chain on it. I have that. <laughs> really? I, I know that kidding? album. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that came out well, in like 93 or something though the album or the album that was their second album though that was the major label one, but yeah.
Yeah, we played we played we played a lot around LA. Like we were kind of kind of popular around here, and uh, but I didn't like the singer style, especially at the point like Donnie from uh, Enough's Enough. He, uh-huh. He's a great singer, and I have to play with Bob James and Robin. It's like that singer is not my style at all. But I I could write that too, you know. Like Ball and Chain was perfect for them. Well, how about if we do this? I'm going to ask you a question. If if Cheap Trick did this thing where they brought everybody up on stage and they did like uh, the entire history of Cheap Trick and brought everyone up, would you would you want to be up there? Yeah. I, 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 I've been up there already, like when they played House of Blues out here. Mm-hmm. After, you know, after, you know, years after I was out, they, they dragged me up there and I'd do a couple of songs and it was fun. Did they ever, when they did the 25th anniversary concert, I, I was at that and John Brandt came out on stage with them. Was there, did anybody reach out to you to come to that? No. No. Okay. I, I've even, I, I've, when they play out here a couple of times, I even called their, their tour manager and asked her if she could put me on the guest list and so I could come and see them because I wanted to see them and I couldn't even get in there. Uh-huh. <laughs> So I'm pretty sure they kind of want me to disappear from their history and everything. Well, that's never going to happen. I mean, every every cheap trick fan knows your name and knows you know that that you were a part of part of it. That's why we want you on this show because we're just interested in anything, you know, any part of the cheap trick story. And so your story is one that you know not a lot of people have heard in this kind of detail. So that's why this has been so great to have you on. Well. Well, I, I gotta admit, I was I was there when they were at their peak. I know that much. Yeah, that yeah, they were pretty much when you joined, they were pretty much at their peak. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a great experience. I don't, I don't, you know, regret a minute of it. Well, yeah, of course. Like you said, you got to join your favorite band. How many people can say that, right? <laughs> I know, I know. It was, it was just, it was, it was almost like a, to me a miracle. <laughs> and it sounds like you've kind of made your living your whole life in the music industry, right? So that you can't can't complain about no, that. No, I, I cannot complain about shit. Because <laughs> I've never had a job in my life. I've never had a boss. <laughs> Lucky you. I can't say the same thing. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I know. I, I, if, I, if I complained, I should be, like, shot. <laughs> Well, Pete, we want to thank you for being part of Cheap Trick history, and we want to thank you for being part of Cheap Talk today. Seriously, like I said, you were—you've been somebody we've wanted to have on for a long time, and uh, this this interview kind of came up as a surprise to us today when you said uh, yes, and we jumped right on it. So, again, thank you, thank you so much from both BJ and myself, and for everybody that's listening today. You know, we remember you. And that's probably All the best right, thing man. we can thank say you, to you. Man. Thank you for the stuff you told me because you, you got me really happy. <laughs> well, you know, again, it was really hard having you on with your thick Italian accent, but uh, <laughs> yeah, we worked our way through it. Yeah. But hey, a paisana, we're right. gonna say a goodbye to you <laughs> right now. Okay. No. Hey. I'll talk to you another time. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you for putting up with All our right, nonsense. Guys, thanks a lot, man. All right, thank, thank you, you. All right, All we'll, right. we'll see you. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. bye-bye.
that was amazing, huh? <laughs> that was really great, yeah. Who would have thought that was going to happen today? But, hey, here we are documenting the entire Cheap Trick story. We love Cheap Trick. We love all the guys that have been in the band, past, present. And uh, we are looking forward to the future with this band. There's news that uh, they may be working on an album. I'm excited, aren't you, BJ? Hell yeah, yeah. So... We want to thank you for listening today and thank you for coming along with us as we try to document the entire Cheap Trick story. We will see you on the next episode of Cheap Talk. Good night now. Ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Good night now, ladies and gents. That's our show. Trick Chat is an online nonprofit audio fanzine made by fans for fans. Any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners. We are not related to Cheap Trick or any of their members past or present. If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes to buy it. If you enjoyed this show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein, saying keep cheap trickin'. Like that's that's like the intro. So if you hear anything like that, that's the one.